Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Philanthropists want to see change in the world. That's why they give, whether you give small amount or a large amount, whether you leave millions in your will or you just say 1%. This conversation is much more active as opposed to it's something you do when you're older or when you're dying. It's how can I start my legacy now in my teens or my 20s? What can I give money, time, skill? Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 388 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Nicholas Stokes. Nicholas Stokes is the General Manager of AMP Foundation and Director of Community Council of Australia. Nicola has held national and international leadership positions as CEO, Senior Executive and Director in the financial services and for-purpose arenas. Nicola believes that developing partnerships which result in increased market share or revenue, underpinned by operational excellence, are key capabilities for any executive. Nicola practices a leadership philosophy with positive psychology at its core as a way of creating environments within which individuals and ideas thrive. Nicola thrives in the complexity of positive and intelligent engagement with a variety of competing stakeholders while effectively balancing the inherent tension between relationship-driven and governance-focused organisations. Nicola was the CEO magazine CEO of the Year finalist in 2021 Telstra Businesswoman's New South Wales finalist in 2015, and the International Quality and Productivity Council Thought Leader of the Year in 2008. In 2007, Nicola was a member of the United Nations Environmental Program Finance Initiative Steering Committee and has been a member of various government health advisory panels. Nicola is a graduate of Monash University, INSEAD Paris, and the Australian Institute of Company Directors, and we're not focusing her energies in the for-purpose sector, Nicola runs a merino sheep farm with her husband, George, in the southern tablelands of New South Wales. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Nicola's perspectives on the state of philanthropy in Australia, and we'll get her insights and perspectives on opportunities for ventures that tackle social and environmental issues. Nicola, it's a total pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here too. Kicking things off, Nicola, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and what it was that led to this passion of yours in leadership and supporting for-purpose initiatives. Look, my career is not an unusual one, but I did spend sort of about two-thirds of my career in financial services and banking, uh, and then about another third in the charity or not-for-profit space. My story is the link between those two or the step I made from one to the other. I'd achieved more in my corporate career, let's call it, than I had ever expected. I had more material things that I 
had imagined as a young child growing up in Ireland. But I got to that place where I sort of went, is this it? <laughs> is yes. this that all that material stuff brings? And it was quite a shock. And luckily enough, I was young enough to work out that there must be more to my working life than this. Although I loved all of my roles in the corporate sector, that's not what I wanted to focus on. In those roles, I had very large leadership of hundreds of people in dispersed countries around the world. And then I also had specialist functions. And I think that leadership journey around scale and then back to smaller teams is really important because if you're doing leadership really well, Tom, in my experience, it's quite tiring. And so to take that mental break and get back into being a specialist is really important. But when I got to that point around who am I, What's the world like? What do I want to be when I grow up again? I reflected on what else could I do? And very early on in my career, I was a HR professional. And it's so easy to say now in a couple of words, but when I thought about when people are being the best that they can be, what holds them back? What stops Mm. them achieving their potential? To my way of thinking at that time, it was their mental, emotional, or physical health. I left the corporate financial services world and went to looking for a job in health in the charity sector. Interesting. Um, and I became the first non-health CEO of the Australian Diabetes Council. Oh, wow. But that thought has evolved in this decade, this concept of health or lack of health is what holds humans back to a higher level thinking, for me anyway, which is the concept of prosperity. Prosperity is a way of thinking and being and living, it's not actually about money and things. Mm. That was sort of that second evolutionary thought process. And thanks to the Australian Diabetes Council, I was then the CEO of Special Olympics Australia, and then the CEO of Sydney Children's Hospitals Foundation, all in that charity space. That developed my thinking really clearly. There are those big milestones, the shift in moving from corporate to charity, And then the shift in thinking from health to the concept of prosperity and what that means to me. Then ultimately, my greatest milestone was moving from Sydney Children's Hospitals Foundation, which, frankly, I just thought that was going to be my last job for the rest (laughs) of my life. (laughs) I do stay in places for a while. I enjoy that connectivity. Yeah. But then in SEHF, we were looking at philanthropy. And some of the things that I observed at that point in time was that philanthropy was getting much more mature. Philanthropists were not just giving. They were actually wanting to understand more. They wanted to be involved more, not dictating where their money went, but more understanding about what impact would be achieved, not duplicating. That was really such a level of maturity and sophistication, not just looking at their own legacy they wanted to achieve, but that broader lens. We developed a thing called Greenlight, which was taking novel pediatric research ideas that had never been funded and putting a program around them, which is actually the same as how films are funded, to get that novel research up front. And so timing is everything, isn't it, Tom, in life and careers and community? It really is. And I got a phone call about becoming the GM of the AMP Foundation at a time where my own thinking had developed into the concept of social enterprise being this extraordinary creative and innovative space between the for-profit and for-purpose sectors. Mm. I jumped at the chance. I'm not embarrassed at all to say that I was so excited. I didn't break cool at all. I went, yes, I'd love to be in the loop for that role. That's a little bit about me and my journey and those key sort of milestones in my career that bring 
me here today. It's a fantastic experience, Nicola. And I love the link you make there between prosperity, right? Being this fundamental area that's just really been experienced through your work and through the different positions you've held. And you it's talk- such an inclusive concept, isn't it, Tom? Prosperity is for everybody. Yes. The planet, the people, it's lovely. It really is. And seeing this natural progression into really understanding and supporting social enterprise is an exciting one. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a bit more about this because as the GM at AMP Foundation, there's some wonderful history of the foundation that I'd love you to share. But not only this, but the foundation has really been supporting the business for good movement in a number of ways. So what other opportunities should our audience be aware of that AMP Foundation is really supporting the sector with? I'd love to tell just a little bit of the history story. Please do. Before I get into the future story. I also spent a decade of my career at AMP. So this story was real for me to remember as opposed to learn. And so back in 1848, there were three philanthropists who wanted to create an environment where life was better for everybody. Mm. Their idea or their concept about creating a mutual society was for the benefit of women and children whose men went to war and didn't come back. Mm. There was no social security at that time. Indeed, post-war, it was the harsh working conditions. Men didn't live past their 40s or 50s if they were lucky. And then if they died, there was no savings and women and children were destitute. These three gentlemen observed that. And so they wanted to create a better place. I talk about 1848 because it was in those months that they were imagining Australian Mutual Providence Society. It actually came into existence on the 1st of January 1949. Through that whole history of nearly 175 years, Every step forward on a mutual, a provident society is for the benefit of the people who are part of it, was always around looking at the impact on society that they would have, as well as generating revenue. Not only are they, to my way of thinking, <laughs> the first tomorrow makers, AMP was a not-for-profit or indeed a social enterprise, looking mm. backwards through the lens and the information that we have now. All the way through AMP, You can see in its history how it gave, donated, support, mentored society generally. It was very cognizant of its role. But if we take it through its philanthropic lens from those origins, it also, in 1992, decided it should probably have the foundation not intertwined within its business, but actually as a separate entity. And that's when the foundation itself was imagined. And so... The things that it has done is it's helped fund the establishment of Social Ventures Australia, the Centre for Social Impact, the funding network. It bought the first social impact bond. It's done all this extraordinary work, keeping loyal to that heritage of why we were established in the first place. But as a separate entity and a separate self-funding entity, one of the most extraordinary things was the Tomorrow Makers program. And that's what I'd probably like to focus on because there are some threads and some really key pieces of the Tomorrow Makers program that are going to bring us through to the future. When I looked back 2014 and 354 Tomorrow Makers and started looking at the funds that AMP Foundation donated, they were one-off grants, yeah. and what was achieved as a result of those one-off grants, it was seed money. They were actually giving grants to energize individuals to take those extraordinary ideas that they had and help them build that forward and then go and seek funding elsewhere. It really was 
early capital. It was non-tied. And because of the way the AMP Foundation is set up legally, which is something we might talk about a little later as an important thing for the sector to understand, we were able to give to individuals. You didn't have to have deductible gift recipient status. You didn't have to already be trading. You didn't have to be a social enterprise or a social yes. business. So always this lovely match between impact and business. So business for good is absolutely what the AMP Foundation has been doing from the get-go. The opportunities that I would love the audience to be aware of is that we have launched our 2023 Tomorrow Makers program and we've launched Spark. Spark is a updated, modernized, much more focused and intelligent way of giving that initial grant. And I'm really proud, Tom, we are partnering with Impact Boom to deliver this first program of 12 modules over 20 weeks to people who can apply to be part of the Tomorrow Maker Spark program. I've got to interject. I just can't contain my excitement on this partnership, Nicola. <laughs> oh, look, we love your work. We love the work you've done with others. And it was, there's lots of extraordinary organizations doing various things in this space. But Tom, you understood us most. You really got what we've been doing since 2014 and how by adding to the money, this wraparound support, the mentoring, the guiding, the workshops, the group would actually accelerate those extraordinary ideas to get them to a point at the end of our Spark program where they can go for more funding with us yes. through our Ignite program. And then that's about another 12 months, we imagine. And then after that is Activate, which is two to four years. This is the really important thing. Everybody out there who has an idea and I think that's the important piece and that you really got, Tom, is what's your idea? Where did it come from? What impact do you want to make and how will you measure it? Mm. It's basically the core of what we want to know right now, rather than having to build something much more substantial. Because we believe, as I think you do, that will unearth some of the most extraordinary ideas to solve some of our most wicked problems in society. Absolutely. It is a hugely exciting opportunity. It's a nationwide program. It will be run in hybrid format, meaning basically it's going to really open up a lot of opportunities for people working both online with a couple of immersive sessions as well, where the cohort will really come together and work through these ideas and lay the right foundations to really create these game-changing ideas. So it's hugely exciting, Nicola. Let's come back a little bit to the philanthropic sector because you do have deep experience in the space and I'm keen to learn about your observations of how this has shifted in Australia over the last five years or so. Compared to countries in the world, we think of it as a more early stage process or mindset of individuals with wealth. But I see the acceleration in the last five years to be quite extraordinary as there's a greater understanding of what people actually want to achieve. One of the greatest things that I have seen is philanthropists are involving their young adults and children in their decision-making process and actually helping them understand what is going on in the world and how, let's talk venture philanthropy if we're using the thought process of yeah. social enterprise, can not only impact individual lives but have that ripple effect through society. I think 
not aging myself, but younger people really get that idea. They understand the world is much bigger than them and their families. And if part of your prosperity is that you have funds, how do you best use that for the greater good for others? And so that's probably the biggest shift that I've seen. But also philanthropists are educating themselves at a great rate. And we're not just talking ultra high net worth. Philanthropists want to see change in the world. That's why they give, whether you give small amount or a large amount, whether you leave millions in your will or you just say 1%. This conversation is much more active as opposed to it's something you do when you're older or when you're dying. It's how can I start my legacy now in my teens or my 20s? What can I give money, time, skill? There's quite a broadening of the term Mm. is what I see. And I embrace that very clearly. I know that philanthropy Australia want to double philanthropy by 2030. Government's behind that. And that's not surprising because philanthropy can de-risk a lot of concepts that government can take on in the early stage. And so that's the second biggest shift that I've seen. That in the past, philanthropy has been a conversation about what we do on top of government after they funded to a good level if i just talk about health for a moment we've a great pediatric health system philanthropy is top of that that's yes. after that in place whereas i see the shift to being actually governments can't take risk the way venture philanthropy can maybe the philanthropic investment comes first as a proof point to show the actual impact and then government can do what only government can do, which is actually create scale. They would be my two biggest observations on the philanthropic sector in Australia over the last five years. There are some great insights there, Nicola. And so let's contrast a little bit to your opinion on the state of impact investing then in Australia. And what do you believe then needs to change in that ecosystem to help it develop further? Tom, that's a great question for me because I'm in the very early stages of this. I've been in my role just over six months now where I actually have a fund for impact investing. And so this might be a little bit technical at the moment, but I also think that people need to understand, especially people who want some investment in their social enterprise, that all foundations are not the same. Mm. And there's quite interesting legal structures that run this sector. So I might just for a moment talk to that. And of course, then, Tom, you can get rid of it if it's too boring for everybody. (laughs) I'm sure there'll be some great insights. We are ready. I think it's important to know since we're all learning. If I talk just first around state of impact investing, there's this real conversation about, so what impact? And the number of measurements, methodologies, there's so many, Yes, Tom. And I don't think there needs to be one. I don't think that's wise. I think the skill is matching the impact methodology to the actual impact you're trying to achieve. Mm. Demonstrate probably is a better word. Yes. And my other part of that from history as well, or my own experience is if you put too many rules around this creative early stage sector, and some will say it's not that early stage, but 10 years, 15 years is still early if you think of it as a sector. I think you can crush it with policy and procedure because you can just regulate it to within an inch of its life and then all this extraordinary innovation and creativity makes it too hard Mm. to engage, especially in those early stages. Yes. Now, AMP Foundation, to think of us as a foundation, we've got two pieces. We have our annual program, so Think Tomorrow Makers, 
and then we have a corpus for investment and a portion of that corpus is allocated to impact investing. And there's this discussion I'm a part of and learning about where people are saying the entire corpus should be invested in impact investing. And the reality is, and AMP Foundation is not alone here, is there are lower returns over a certain amount of time. So mm. I think a portion is really intelligent. And then as long as the balance of the corpus is invested well, so there's yeah. no harm being done as a result of that investment, it's what actually funds the annual program. Mm. And at this point in our existence, we're really happy with that balance. So impact investing itself needs to be part of that broader landscape as opposed to a standalone pillar of these early thoughts that I'm developing. I do hope, and I believe obviously my observations will develop and mature over the coming months and years anyway. But I do think it's really important to understand that sort of shift yes. where the funds come from and what they do. And a one size fits all won't work in this sector, nor does it work in any. As a social entrepreneur looking to engage with foundations like ours or gaining philanthropic funding, whether it's a straight grant or venture capital, philanthropic venture capital, it's really important to spend a few moments and understand that organization who's providing the funds to you. Hmm. I think the progress made to date in impact investing is really good. And I still think there is more to do, but I see the momentum and that's really exciting. I see the expertise at such a more mature rate than I understood. And then the entire momentum that is gathering to ensure that all foundations like ours have some percentage of their corpus allocated to impact investing. Yeah. Does that answer the question, Tom? It, have I gone? No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, there's everyone listening. <laughs> there, there is absolutely some great nuggets of advice and wisdom in there. I think in what you've just shared, Nicola, really understanding what those different organizations are there to achieve and how that impact measures <laughs> against that and how you find that aligned purpose, I think is hugely important. And so bringing it back then to AMP's Foundation's Tomorrow Makers program, this is really about supporting these great ideas that, are, that exist to, to change the world. And so what general advice then would you be giving to these purpose-led entrepreneurs who are working really hard to take their enterprises to the next level? There's two probably things that come to mind. It's an exhausting journey to get something up and running. Mm. At the beginning, you have so much energy and adrenaline to keep you moving as your idea is progressing and gathering momentum. Yeah. But it also, there are times when it's not going the way you want it to or at the pace that you wanted it to. The first thing is need a mechanism to check in with yourself around how are you going, how's the idea, reflect on your idea, the progress you've made, and have a really forensic look backwards and check how you are feeling. Mm. Because without that drive of the founder or the original social entrepreneur, I think things can then start to veer off mission it gets too hard. Yes. Because you then may start following a different path or looking for other funding yep. just to keep going. I think it's really worthwhile and quite an energizing exercise to do. And then similarly in that vein, telling the story when you've been in it for what, one year or nearly two years, you can have such a passion for it yourself and jargon can come into your language and the presumption that everybody actually understands the, the <laughs> so detail true. of what you've just been through. So it's nearly okay. So what's my elevator pitch again? 
how do I get back to that succinct, clear, clean idea that I can talk about what I'm trying to achieve, why I'm trying to achieve it, and how I'm going about doing it. Mm. And not to be afraid to talk about the successes and the failures of your journey. Because if we're talking venture philanthropy, and if you think straight up startups on venture capital, they actually expect about an 80% failure rate because they've got 20% two major unicorns that actually ensure they're in a pure profit play because the 80% are such a small investment compared to the revenue from the 20%. Venture philanthropy is the same. It's just not looking for those unicorns or those massive financial returns. It's okay to talk about what hasn't gone on. It shows a level of sophistication in your own mindset about your idea, knowing that not every step you take will be a success. That would be my to look after yourself, have a real reflection and make sure your energy is still there. And then just make sure that you're really clear when you're talking to people about where you are. Don't presume they know and understand the journey you've been on. Oh, it's such great advice, particularly when burnout is just so rife. I believe particularly within this purpose-led business space. And so I love that you've put a spotlight, not just on that, but on the clear narrative and storytelling and ability just to convey that message. So just one thing as well, put that just dawned on me, as you were saying that, it might be nice to go back to the people who were around you at that original idea and ask them to tell you again. What was it like mm. when I told you about my idea? And get them to tell your story back to you. Yep. It could be quite energizing. It's a great point, particularly when you mentioned Mission Drift as well and being lured uh, down different available funding options. That's great advice. So let's talk quickly about a couple of inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently. I know you announced a couple of great ones last week at AMP's 30th celebration. So what would you like to share with the audience? Yes, definitely. So two 30th anniversary, $1 million grants to two extraordinary organizations, First Australians Capital and Global Sisters. Now, the reason these organizations inspired me, particularly First Australians Capital, how they're able to be strong enough to say, we want the grant to actually fund early capital startup for First Nations-led businesses. Mm. And we're happy to bring you on the journey, but we know how to do this and you don't. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it was so clear. And it's been a relationship between Adrian Apo from 2014, who was a Tomorrow Maker then, and these funds, the Tomorrow Maker grant in 2014 was to actually help them develop this idea and then to actually see it wanting to go on this next stage of its journey. It's already supported over 200 First Nations-led people. But to be so clear on the type of partnership and relationship they wanted with us, that was stellar for me. Great credibility in the leadership there. Yeah, Leah Armstrong is just amazing. And watch this space, everyone. I think it will be extraordinary. Ultimately, I'd love them to move from our annual program and the granting side to become one of our impact investing organizations. Mm. So hopefully we can create that longer term relationship with everyone. Yes. Global Sisters, similarly, Tom, seven of the Tomorrow Makers were Global Sisters. And this piece that we're investing with them now, we've had a long relationship of not only our makers mentoring, coaching and guiding as well, and providing skilled volunteering. It's been quite a deep relationship for a long stage. The $1 million 30th anniversary grant that we've given them is actually for an investment in a systems change piece of work. 
which will focus on unmarried mothers and how you actually create environments where they can create social enterprise and thrive, which I think will be quite wonderful. Some great examples there. And for our audience... Oh, sorry, I've interrupted you again. When I talk about them, it's because they're so recent, Tom. But if you think of street, which is about all youth getting the opportunity to thrive through work, you think of turbans for Australia, the mini farm project is close to my heart. That's growing food in unused urban spaces. And then those food is donated to people who need it. They actually donate the food to Meals on Wheels. You look at Hotel Ethico, Tender Funerals. And there's some some other things that haven't been part of the Tomorrow Makers or the AP Foundation, but there's Feel the Magic, which is for bereaved children who've lost a parent or a sibling. And then a lovely one, which we're going to do a little bit more work with, is Greg, who was the original Yellow Wiggle. Here's a focus on CPR training. And here's this vision that there's a defib in every street in Australia. Wow. There's a lovely story behind that. Watch this space and... We'll pay attention to that going forward as well. But I think that's quite an extraordinary goal. There's so much going on there. And our role is to very quietly support them financially and with any other skills and capability we can to ensure they can make their dream a reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's some great examples that you've just listed there too, Nicola. And for our audience, you'll be able to find an interview we did with Adrian Apo a couple of years ago now just by searching on the website. And we also have some really exciting interviews coming up with Amar Singh from Turbans for Australia, Mandy Thomas from Global Sisters, and Leah Armstrong too from First Australians Capital. And you mentioned Street. You can also find that interview with Beck Scott on the podcast too. So plenty of resources to keep the podcast hours up. But finishing off, Nicola, books, resources, areas of inspiration, what would you recommend to our listeners? Yes, the thing I'm spending most time with at the moment is what's called the inner development goals. The sustainable development goals, a lot was achieved, but the general sense is that we haven't achieved everything we could have with the sustainable development goals. We actually um, developed this program, which is the inner development goals, which is maybe we didn't all achieve what we wanted to in the sustainable development goals because we actually hadn't had that conversation with ourselves and what we wanted to be as individuals, communities and society to achieve them. I think that's really powerful for me. And also the concept of shared value as the shared value project in Melbourne have some great resources there. And then I did ask my team, we have a huddle every week, what are people doing and what are they focused on? Things like Andrew Purdy's The Hidden Philanthropist and then The Resilience Project. These are some of the things that are really engaging my staff because it is always to our way of thinking as a team. It's a mix between head and heart in the reading and the podcasts. And also for me, a little bit of escapism too, a bit of horror and a bit of humour doesn't go astray in that day-to-day life. <laughs> oh, there's some great resources you mentioned there, Nicola. So we'll put some links through in your article. So if you're a listener, you can click on through and find those resources and places of inspiration. So Nicola, it's been an absolute pleasure talking today. Thank you so much for your really generous insights and time and also for this hugely exciting Tomorrow Makers program, which we are just so proud to be delivery partners of. Thank you again for the work you're doing for the sector, and we'll look forward to following your journey down the track too. Great, Tom. Thank you very much, and we're so excited to AMP Foundation and Impact Boom. It'll be wonderful. It certainly will. 
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.